chapter 43 tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Greg will get one for you. Or Joey will get one for you. Or you can get up and get one yourself, uh, you know. We need to uh, be praying for uh, Dr. Kevin. He's already got pneumonia again, uh, not feeling well, and so we need to pray for him and, and um, be praying for the ladies, their island survival thing for tomorrow night. Uh, my wife's staying home, so she's studying for, for that, but uh, it should be a real blessing. So uh, why don't we just do that? We'll go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace, and thank you for um, for Kevin Presley, Lord. I just pray right now for your healing hand of touch upon his life. Lord God, we pray that you take away the pneumonia that's there, Lord God, that you'd heal him. Oh, Lord, heal the physician. Lord, we know you're the great physician, and so we just ask that you would touch his body and, and heal him, Lord, we pray, and comfort him. And uh, Lord, strengthen Ginger, Lord, as is, is a Kevin not being there because of being sick, Lord. I know that work doubles for her. And so just strengthen their family. Thank you for them, Lord. And we do pray for tomorrow night, Lord, for the women's uh, ministry, the study they're going to do, for Lisa preparing, and, and just for the ladies gathering together. Your blessing to be upon that, Lord God. Uh, give them a sweet time of fellowship, a sweet time of, of in your word, Lord, and that you'd be glorified through it. And now, Lord, we thank you for this night, Lord, as we can open up your word. We know, Lord, whenever we open your word, and we ever, whenever we seek your face, you always have something to say to us, something to teach us. And so, Lord, we're, we're just here, just open to hear and to receive from you this evening. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you recall in chapter 42 that God uh, promised to return to earth as a warrior, judging those who would follow after these false gods. And he rebuked the Jews for their blindness and not seeing all that God has done is done for them and and also we saw as they rebuked them for the blindness of not uh in the future when they would not recognize jesus as the messiah when he came and so you might go away from chapter 42 going man god you know might be done with the jewish people maybe the jews certainly could have read that and go oh man god has forsaken us and, and we're done with and and so the lord in his great mercy and love reminds them of his care for them and his love for them here in chapter 43 I think we too can apply these verses to our lives as well because uh, because God has the same love and mercy for us. You know, we, we blow and think, oh, God can never use me again. God can never. Listen, God loves us and he wants to strengthen us. And, and so look now at verse 1. We read, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So here God is reminding the Jews that he created them. As a, as a as a nation, as his own special people, but he he also you know redeemed them and he's called them by name to be his own special people. He told them this because he knew that they would be fearful, that he knew that they'd be afraid, uh, especially when the time came for Babylon to come down and, and overtake Judah and bring the Jews into the captivity of Babylon. Now this would happen you know a hundred years after Isaiah wrote this, but God wanted to leave them with His word. To give them that strength and that comfort so when it does happen, they're prepared for us. And I think God does the same thing for us. He has his word laid out for us. When things happen, we're prepared for us. We need as Christians to be reminded of the very same truths. That he's given us his word hundreds of years ago. And to remind us we, we need to hear the same things that God created us. That he knows each one of us by name. That he's called you by your name to himself to have that relationship with you. 
he's in control. So don't be afraid of your present because both it and your future are in God's hand. Well, next we read this promise. Look at verses 2 through 4. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. And I love that we see here again the Lord is telling the Jewish people that he's with, with them. He's, he's for them. And he tells them how he will protect them by reminding them how he has protected them in the past. Look at verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They shall not overflow you. Well, they've been there before. Remember when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, what happened? God was with them. Exodus 14.22 tells us that the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Then again, when they crossed the Jordan River on their way into the Promised Land, it says in Joshua 3.16 that the waters which came down from upstream <coughs> excuse me, stood still and rose in a heap. Verse 17, Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So now, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They shall not overflow you. God, we've seen you've done it in the past. Then we go on in verse 2. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Well, when did that happen? You remember Rackshack and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales fan? You should say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were thrown into the fiery furnace. There, Daniel chapter 3, verse 27, it says that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed. Nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. And here, God promises, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Man, God's done it in the past. He promises to do it in the future. I believe God's going to do this. See, God was bringing comfort to them, letting them know that, that he's with them. And even though they'll be taken into captivity in Babylon, he would be with them. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that God doesn't change. What he did for Israel, he does the same thing for you and for me. I want you to notice something here in these verses. The Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fires, you shall not be burned. Notice it doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Or if you go through the fire, you'll not be burned. It's evident that as long as we live on this earth, we are going to go through times of testings. God doesn't always prevent the water from rising. doesn't always save you from being thrown into the fiery furnace. He won't always deliver you from the trial, but if he doesn't, you're guaranteed to deliver you through the trial. There's not an area in your life that God will not uh, fulfill his promises to you. So as we face these storms, as we face trials and valleys and endure the dark nights of life remember that he's the same god as he was back then as he is today he'll never fail you and he will however meet every need you have for his own glory philippians 4:19. my god shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by christ jesus now notice what what comes next verses 5 to 7 there's a regathering he says fear not for i'm with you i will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, 
whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. I think God is even fulfilling this prophecy right now, the present day regathering together the people of Israel back into the land. We're going to look out when we get to chapter 66, verse 8, where Isaiah says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? We know May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. Miraculously, you know, one day, just as God said in His Word, it was given, uh, the, the nation was born. Jeremiah predicted it, this in Jeremiah 30, verse 3, For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. I, I did a, a look online to see what the, the immigration uh, account was since 1948 until all the way to, to 2017 in the different years. And, and it's amazing. I mean, it, some, some years it's 200,000, 150,000, you know, 20, 30, 40,000. Just this constant flow of the Jewish people back into their land. Ezekiel said that it would happen in the last days, in the latter years. He said this in Ezekiel 38.8. After many days you will be visited... In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which has long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. We've seen this happening. We're seeing this happening. God is fulfilling prophecy as well. And this tells us, number one, His word is true, can be trusted. Number two, it also tells us His return is near. We see these things happening. We know that the Lord is near. Well, Isaiah goes on, look at verses 8 through 10. Lord says, bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Whom among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. He says in verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant whom I am chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I love that God says to the Jewish, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. I mean, again, if you want proof of the Bible, just look to the Jewish people. There's proof of the Bible. They are the witnesses to us in these last days. Again, God said that he would make the Jewish people a nation in the last days, and they are a nation once again. You can't deny that. That's an impossibility, and that is a reality. Some ethnic group of people that could live for 2,000 years without a national homeland and still survive as an ethnic group coming back in their, in their own land is unparalleled in history. But this is what God has done, and he's using them as a witness to us. And it goes on to say in verse 10, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Well, that really messes up the Mormon theology, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, they're working so hard to be gods, but the one true God says there will never be another God after the true God. But it goes on in verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Well, that really messes up the Jehovah Witnesses' theology, doesn't it? I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses proclaim that Jesus is the Savior, that He's not God. But God says, besides me, there is no Savior. I love it. We're told in John four forty-two, we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world, speaking of Jesus. Acts 13.23, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Jesus is the Savior, and God says that there's no Savior besides Him. The only logical answer to this puzzle is Titus 2.13, that we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is God. It's there. It's clear. There is no other. Now the Lord goes on in verse 12 and 13. I have declared and saved you. I have proclaimed and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am He. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it. The Lord tells us in verse 10, and here again in verse 12, that Israel is his witness to all the nations. It's through Israel that the Lord has determined to reveal to the world his work that he is God. And now God is telling them that they are to be the witnesses to the fact that he is God. We are the same witness as well. God has has given us the knowledge and he's given us our salvation. And we're witnesses to the fact that we serve the one true and living God. Then the Lord says, there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it. In other words, God is saying, what, what I put into motion, I will finish. What I start, I will finish. Now, that's comforting to us because he that has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God will complete it. But also, we, you know, we can look at it from, from historical perspective. What it meant for the Jews is that Babylon would be coming down to take them captive. And, and they couldn't stop it even if they tried by because God is behind it. But it also means that, that God would not be done with Babylon. Look at verses 14 through 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and the path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. So he's saying, I will use Babylon to come down and bring them to you captivity, but Babylon is going to get theirs. They uh, will be destroyed and not rise again, but rather she will be extinguished like a, a candle's wick. They're quenched like a wick. The Lord says, but for you, look at verses 18 to 21. After your captivity, he says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the, the things of old, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Now the Lord is telling his people, after you've been released from Babylon, you can forget about all those years behind you, the years of captivity, you know, you learned your lesson. I want to do a new thing. He says that I will make a way for you to return. I'll make roads in the wilderness and rivers in the desert so you may pass. And the result of that, uh, Lord blessing, the journey back to the homeland would be that they would declare his praise, it says in verse 21. But I love verse 19. God has given me this promise many times in my life. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall bring, spring forth. Shall you not know it? Lord has always given me that when, when he's ready to do a new work, ready to, 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 for me to make a move or do something. I remember when I first, you know, my first child was born, Lord, there was that verse. When I moved to the high desert from, from Harvest Christian Fellowship, there was that verse just came up. Oh, we're going to do a new thing. When I moved out from the high desert to here to Missouri, Lord, he's going to do, do a new thing. And I, and I find it fascinating to hear this verses again. I, I'm excited to see what God's going to do here as a church. A, a new thing. Maybe it has to do with the new building we're looking at and, 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 and getting into. But God's going to do something exciting. I'm excited to see, excited to see you know, we do this outreach, Calvary in the Park, on, on the 16th of July. Just, just going out there and doing some worship and study, seeing what the Lord can do. 
It's always good to be looking at what God wants to do next because I think that sometimes we can get stuck in a rut. It's like the same thing over and over and over again. And we're really not open to the Lord, Lord, you know, doing something uh, next in our lives because I think we don't think about it. We can get in that place of complacency. We need to be open and excited whatever the Lord wants to do in our lives each and every day. And it may be something new and exciting that God never has brought us through before. And yeah, it may take a step of faith, but in the end, when we see what the Lord has done, it's going to bring forth praise in our hearts as we see here uh, as well. Now, next, the Lord rebukes the Jews for not turning from their sin and turning to him. Look at verses 22 through 24. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I mean, here the Lord is reminding them, you're still not repentant of your sins. They've actually turned away from the Lord and were still doing their own thing. Another reason why Babylon was going to come down and, and, and take them into captivity. You see, yes, the Lord wants to do great and new and exciting things, but if we're still living in sin and not offering our sacrifice of praise, not offering our sacrifice of, of our life to Him each and every day, not honoring with Him with our lives, then the Lord, Lord's hands are tied, so to speak, in the sense that He can't work through us. You can't move and do new exciting things until we repent. Here the Lord says to the Jews, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. In other words, I'm so tired of this. You know, I mean, I don't want the Lord to be tired of always seeing me sinning over and over and over again. The Lord loves us, but he doesn't want us to keep going back, falling into those same sins over and over and over again. We need to repent. We need to turn back to the Lord. And that is what the Lord wanted for his people, the Jews. And look at the promise he makes in verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. We, you know, we talked about this the last, last week or the week before. We're in this courtroom scene. And God is a judge. And he's going to state your case. Prove to me. We looked at, you know, prove to me your God can predict the future. And he, here he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I alone can blot out your transgressions. I can blot out the sins from my memory. I will not remember your sins. But on your part, there needs to be confession. There needs to be repentance. The Lord goes on in verse 27. Your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Chapter 44. Yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, is it Israel whom I have chosen? Thus is the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, you Jeshurun. Uh, Jeshurun means upright. He says, fear not, you upright, whom I have chosen. I, I love that. The Lord says, fear not. See, Isaiah has shown that Israel has failed as a servant, yet here God is reaffirming his love towards them. Again, I've chosen you, I've made you, I've formed you, I've created you as a nation. My love for you is unconditional. Yes, we do blow it. And yes, we do sin. But God doesn't turn his back on us. God never fails. He doesn't give up on us. And he loves you. And he loves me despite of our, our, our failures and our deficiencies. Look at verse 3 through 5. The Lord says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. 
One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and, and the name himself by the name of Israel. I love this. God is describing a revival among the young Israelis, among the young people. He says, man, their hearts are going to be turned. They'll, 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 they'll write their name on their hands. Oh, my name is, is Israel. I, I'm of the Lord. You know, I, I'm Jacob. I'm one of God's. Now, we know that in Joel chapter 2, that as the tribulation period comes to a close, the Spirit will be poured out in such a way that perhaps, you know, millions of people will, will turn to the true and living God and, and on that great and terrible day. I think there's going to be a, a, one of the biggest revivals take place after the rapture of the church, coming to Christ. A true revival, but it's going to be short-lived because many of them will have to die for their faith. But I read this, and I think, Lord, we need revival now. We need to pray for revival. Now, the only hope for America is a far-reaching spiritual awakening, a revival. But revival begins with me and with you. It begins with a call upon our lives, a life of obedience. And the Lord is promising here that he will pour upon us those who are thirsty. If you're thirsty, I'll pour upon you the blessings on your offspring, he says. I like that because I need the Spirit of God to be poured out on me and upon my kids as well. Lord, Lord, pour it out on them. I want them thirsty for the things of God. Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 8, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, look at verse 6. The Lord says, Thus says the Lord God, the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Revelation 1, 8, we hear Jesus declaring that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And here we see God declaring that he is the first and the last. This either means there are two first and last, and two last, or Jesus is God. Obviously, you know the answer. Lord goes on now, look at verses 7 through 20, big chunk here, to describe the foolishness of making idols and worshiping them. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Again, this is this courtroom scene. He's saying, you guys want to prove something. He says, since I have in the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. He says, those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen there are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs worked one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts the roast and, satis- and, it is sat- and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, 
nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes and deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver his soul nor say is there any not a lie in my right hand. I mean, you just see Isaiah mocking the foolishness of the people who worship idols. They cut down a tree. They make tools from the wood from the tree. They use the wood to cook a fire to eat, to eat. And what's left? Well, whatever's left, we'll make an idol out of it and bow down to it and worship it. How foolish. How ridiculous. And we say, well, I don't do that. That's stupid. And yet, there can be a tendency in each one of us to get sucked into the stupidity of, of idolatry. Because an idol is, is anything that has a higher priority in our lives other than the Lord. John in 1 John 5.21 tells us, Let little children keep yourself from idols. There's a, uh, there on Mount Sinai, the Lord thundered in Exodus 23, You shall have no other gods before me. And yet we have to ask ourselves, are there any other gods in our lives that have higher priority uh, than the Lord? I think here's a, one way to, to, to figure it out. Think about, uh, about what do you think about most in your leisure time when you're not focused on a specific task or conversation? What, what fills your mind uh, most of your day? What dominates your thoughts uh, could be the God in your life. Now, maybe it's a relationship with, with, with a girl that you want to date and you're always thinking about that. Maybe it's a career, how you can get ahead, or maybe it's even a ministry. Wondering, you know, how you can reach more people. Or maybe it's your body, how you can get in better shape. Or it's your house, what next project you can do. And you're always thinking about that. Where, do you, where, did, what do you, where does your mind naturally go when it's free to wander? Because that could be that, that priority in our lives. It could be the God in our lives, or at least certainly, you know, heading that way. I think it's an important uh, sobering thought, an important assessment that, that I think we need to make from time to time. Well, now at verse 21, the Lord says, Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Again, the Lord here says, Return to me, for I have redeemed you. But note the order. We don't return to the Lord so that he'll redeem us. Return to the Lord because he has redeemed us. I like that. The work is already done. I don't have to try to, to merit or earn it. Instead, I can just rejoice in it. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what makes evangelism so exciting. The, the work is already done. We can go to, to people and we can proclaim the good news that their sins are forgiven, that, that God records, you know, their, their members their sin no more. All they need to do is repent, turn from their sin, and, and, and turn to Christ to be saved. Why? Because Jesus already did the work for us. He has redeemed us. Now that leads to praise. Look at verse 20, 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth in the singing, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Again, just a, just a, a song of praise for what God has done. Verse 24 says, the Lord, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. Now the Lord said the same thing back in verse 2. Thus is the Lord God who made you and formed you in the womb. Do you get the idea that, that, that God is letting us know that he considered you and I a person even before you were born? Even before we were born. That we're just not, you know, that we're not just an embryo, but an actual living human being created by God, formed by God there in the womb. I think of when Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. 
And Mary stopped by to visit, and, and Mary was pregnant, you know, with Jesus at the same time. And we know that Jesus and John were about six months apart. So that when, when Elizabeth was about to deliver, to, to deliver John, Jesus would have only been about 12 weeks old in the womb. Now listen to what Luke records in Luke 1, 41-44. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And then she says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. I love that. I love that story. Notice Elizabeth doesn't say, when I heard your greeting, my embryo jumped for joy. I mean, it's a baby. My baby. David cried out in Psalm 139, 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. You know that 78% of women who choose, uh, who are thinking about having an abortion, who choose to see an ultrasound of their baby, choose not to have an abortion. Based on on available state-level data, there was an estimated 906,000 abortions that took place in 2015. In 2004, the Guttmacher Institute anonymously surveyed 1,209 who had abortions from nine different abortion clinics across the country. Of the women surveyed, 957 provided a main reason for having uh, having performed an abortion. Reason, victim of rape, 0.5% claim that. Physical health problems, 4%. Uh, don't want to be a single mother, 8%. Done having children, 19%. Can't afford a baby, 23%. Not ready for a child, 25%. So if we took those same percentages for 2015 the 906,000, then 226,500 abortions were committed in 2015 because they were not ready for a child. 208,000 abortions were committed because they could not afford a baby. 172,140 abortions were committed because they were done having children. We talk about the height of self-centeredness and, 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 and selfishness. Could you imagine, you know, killing people for the same reason and getting away with it? What would happen? Oh, I killed them because I, I wasn't ready for them to be here. I killed them because I couldn't afford them. I killed them because I don't want them around anymore. Yet in our society, that's what it's come down to. In fact, you can get thrown in jail for animal cruelty if you treat an animal in that way, but abortion's okay. It's not okay. We need to pray for America. Pray that these abortion clinics, Planned Parenthood, get shut down all across America. Now, if you've had an abortion, yes, it's sin, and yes, it's horrible, but it's just like all the other sins. It's been paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, God said in verse 22, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. In verse 25 of chapter 43, I've even I have blotted out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember them no more. In Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgression from us. So God does, does forgive us, but the point being here, that baby is a baby. God has formed, us, formed that child and he is there. Finally, verse 24, we read the Lord say, I am the Lord who makes all things who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the sign of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backwards and make their knowledge foolishness. I like that. Lord says, I, I, I'm, Lord says I'm the Lord. I make, I make all things and I frustrate the spiritual consultants. I, I frustrate the liars. You know, those that come on the scene that think they, they have some spiritual insight, you know, spiritual matters. They're nothing, the Lord says. I like the Lord calls them babblers. You know, 
I like that. The Lord makes all things. The Lord created the earth by himself. The Lord frustrates these guys that they think they know it all. You know, I think of these evolutionists. You know, they're the babblers. You know, they, oh, you know, we evolved, you know, for millions and millions of years of animals and, and dinosaurs never really lived with, with, with humans because dinosaurs were, you know, millions and millions of years ago and they distinct. And then some archaeologist uncovers a dinosaur with a human right next to each other. I mean, God just, you know, he frustrates them. He frustrates these babblers, these guys that think they know it all. Oh, how can that be? Oh, no. The Lord turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness, he says. I love that. He goes on in verse 26. I am the Lord who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah you shall be built. And I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now this is exciting right here. And we're not going to get to chapter 45 this evening. But this is exciting because Isaiah is writing the time frame about 700 B.C. And he's writing this prophecy concerning Cyrus, which will continue on in chapter 45. And it's one of the most astounding in all of the Old Testament. I mean, God actually names a name of a guy that's going to do something for him way in the future. He predicts that this man named Cyrus would come on the scene saying that Jerusalem would be built and the foundations of the temple would be laid. Now, the time that, that Isaiah wrote this, Jerusalem was there. It was built. The temple was there. It's already there. And so, you know, what on earth could they be thinking when they read this going, what are you talking about? It's going to be rebuilt. We're going to go back in. Little would they know, though, that in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would conquer the city of Jerusalem and take the Jews with them back to Babylon. Then in 538 B.C., a man named Cyrus, the king of Persia, would come on the scene and indeed conquer Babylon. Josephus tells us that when Cyrus conquered Babylon, that he found out about Isaiah's ancient prophecies about him, even calling him by name, and that's what made him respond to make the decree that the Jews could return and go back and rebuild the temple. Pretty cool. Now we'll see more about Cyrus next time. God's word is so powerful. I love that God says, I will say what I'm going to say. I will do it. And I'll tell you that I did it. And I've done exactly what I've done. I love it. I mean, listen, the Lord says he's going to come back. The Lord has promises for us. Man, he's coming back. Let's look for him. Let's, let's keep our, our, our hearts where they need to be in a place where God can use us. And, and uh, we can accomplish great things for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for just being able to, to go through your word, Lord, and really give us a, maybe an appetite, Lord, a hunger to dig deeper into some of these things that we've looked at this evening, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for, for so many topics that, that pop out to us, a, a prophecy, Lord, a, your word coming forth, your, 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 uh, Lord, your commitment to forgive and to love us and to blot out our transgressions, Lord, and to forgive us of our sins, to put our sins behind us. Lord, your love for us, that even when we blow it, Lord, you're there to strengthen us and, and uh, Lord, bring us back into the place where we need to be. Lord, that you're going to do new things in our lives, exciting things. Lord, we're, we, uh, we love you for that. We praise you for that. And Father, we pray now that you'd, as we go away, bless our fellowship time afterwards, Lord. Bless the remainder of our week. Again, we pray for, for Kevin. We pray for the... Uh, Women's ministry tomorrow night, Lord. We pray your blessing upon our Sunday services, Lord. But we just want to praise you, Lord, for how great you are, how awesome and mighty, Lord, that no problems that we face.
can overwhelm us because you are with us. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.